Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, let's start this podcast with strippers. Yes! The stripper cast. I've been waiting for this. We're actually not going to talk about strippers throughout the podcast. Just we're going to start with one study about uh, strippers and exotic dancers that got quite a bit of press a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about how women who were stripping made bigger tips when they were ovulating. Yeah, there was a psychologist named Jeffrey Miller from the University of New Mexico who uh, basically pulled strippers to find out where they were in their menstrual cycles and essentially how fertile they were, you know, whether or not they were ovulating and then asked them how much money they were making off of tips. And they found that dancers made about 70 bucks an hour during their peak fertility, AKA when they are ovulating versus about $35 while menstruating and 50 bucks when, you know, they're just hanging out in between. Yeah. And it was, uh, he sort of made the suggestion that if you're on the pill and you're a, a stripper, you're really kind of hurting yourself financially because the women on the pill had no sort of, uh, cycle like this. You know, right. they, they never got as high as 70. They averaged 37, uh, at all times, even during that sort of period that you call just sort of hanging out mm-hmm. when the other women were making $50. And, uh, you know, the suggestion was made that because, uh, hormonal contraception basically fools your body into thinking that you're pregnant. Mm-hmm that men could somehow pick up on this and no one really wants to, to tip a pregnant stripper, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I guess there are we'll people... Let the, we'll let the listeners <laughs> answer that one, Molly. But he was just saying that, you know, something happens when women ovulate that makes them more attractive to the opposite sex. Yeah. And uh, this is uh, a theme that's been picked up and exploited in a lot of different uh, studies about, you know, what sort of hidden signs of ovulation do women send out? Because it's not like we're monkeys that sort of lift up our, our 
hind ends mm-hmm. when we're in heat. Right. I mean, we're sort of the only mammal that doesn't do that. Right. Doesn't advertise, hey, it's baby making time. We have concealed fertility. There's no, yeah, there's no outward sign. But the reason why we're doing this episode on these subliminal messages, if you will, that women might send out um, around the time we, we ovulate is because Molly and I go over so many studies every week about women's behavior and also a lot of it's linked to hormones and our cycles and all of that. And, you know, light bulb just went off in Molly's head the other day saying, whoa, we have like all of these, all this research just about these crazy things that we start doing when we ovulate. So let's talk about it. And I think that with this discussion, we should say right up front to take all of this with a grain of salt. Yeah, I mean, you basically have to buy into the fact that when a woman is ovulating, she wants to get pregnant, which yeah. in old evolution, you know, old days, yes, evolution would have wanted us to produce as many children as possible, uh, to have great reproductive success, to continue the species. And now uh, we don't really have that same need. Yeah. I mean, some people do. Some people want to get pregnant when they're ovulating. Not everyone does. And here's another issue that I want to throw out up front with these studies as well. This is all assuming that women are looking to attract men. Exactly. Molly, may I say it? It's all very heteronormative. Yeah. We were, we were really disgusted yesterday because, uh, we were, we were trying to, they were talking about some of these things that we'll get into about how, uh, there's female to female competition mm-hmm. when you're ovulating because, you know, you want to get all your enemies out of the way. Right. And get that man all to yourself. Uh And so we don't really know. And science has really explained that if you're trying to attract a woman, exactly how ovulation would affect that. Right. (laughs) Would you get in female to female competition? Exactly. You know, if I wanted to attract a woman, should I avoid going on a date when I'm ovulating? Because I would feel like she was somehow my rival as well. Like, yeah, science still has to work some details out. Yeah. So this assumes that women are trying to catch men and trying to get pregnant and that they are sending out subliminal signs to do so. All right. So subliminal sign number one, you dress to impress. Yeah. And you guys have probably, and girls, have probably seen this, some version of this research out there before, because it comes up a lot. And the idea is that when we ovulate, we, without thinking about it, we'll just put on our sauciest outfits. We will dress the nines. We will dress the nines. Like, I, I will put on my accessories. I'm going to put on my high heels. You might get your hair did. I might get my hair did or, you know, at least shower every day. <laughs> and we really appreciate it when you all, do that, Kristen. All in hopes. Molly wishes that I, wishes that I was always ovulating for that reason. <laughs> Um, all in the hopes of having my egg, um, fertilized. Yeah. Shall we? Um, and the newest study on this, I mean, there have been several different studies on it. The newest one came out just this week that we're recording the podcast, uh, where the university of Minnesota was asking a hundred women at different stages of their menstrual cycles to choose what clothes or accessories they would hypothetically buy. Mm -hmm. And they found that those that were most fertile, those that were ovulating would go for very tight sweaters, slinky dresses, lower cut tops, things that society deems as sexy. Mm-hmm. And the whole reason that this study was being done is because businesses are going to try to exploit that because if there's something that can be exploited, they'll make us buy more clothes. They're going to try and exploit it. And they were saying, you know, obviously all women are ovulating at different times, but you would just periodically send out 
your sexiest outfits and just hope that you hit the woman at the right time of the month because she's going to go crazy. Yeah, she's going to want, she might look through her closet and not feel like there's anything in there that is sending out the right kind of signals. So, of course, she's going to run to the mall and splurge on some new mini something or other. Um, and the interesting thing about this is the study was not published in some kind of health journal. It was published in the Journal of Consumer Research. Right. But this is how much companies want our dollars, by the way, women. It's that they're trying to track when we ovulate. Okay. <laughs> but they're not the only study. There was also another one where uh, they had women take one picture when they were just hanging out, as Kristen put it. Uh, not fertile, basically in a, a luteal phase. And then they had women in their most fertile phase take a picture. And the sa- same one was taking the picture twice. And they had people pick, like, in which picture is the woman trying to look more attractive? Mm-hmm. And both men and women were able to pick out the fertile picture as the picture when she was trying to look most attractive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're going into a lab twice, being told that you're going to be having a picture taken, you're not told why. But I mean, you would think that both times women would put a little extra effort into it. But it turns out that even even knowing you're having a picture taken in a laboratory, the fertile one, fertile picture. I wish we could see these pictures, though, because surely it's not, you know, one day you walk in when you're in your luteal phase, if you will. um, Surely you're not going to just walk in and like, you know, overalls and a T-shirt. And then all of a sudden you're ovulating and you come in a cocktail dress. I'm really curious to know how... Um, how subtle these changes were. Well, let me give you some examples from the study. One, uh, one, some of the fertility pictures were marked by outfits like tops with lace trim, wearing skirts instead of pants. One woman added a fringy neck scarf and several women show, simply showed more skin. And this is from a study, uh, that was in the Journal of Hormones and Behavior 2006. And, uh, as with all our studies, I'll put them up on the blog, uh, when this podcast airs so you can check it out yourself. But, you know, they they even tried to exempt out women who might have showed up dressed differently because they had a job interview or mm-hmm. they had class that yeah. day. I mean, they even allowing that there was something else going on in the women's lives that they were dressing for. These judges were still able to pick out the the fertile outfits. And apparently this is all moderated. This These clothing choices are all moderated by each individual's sociosexuality. In other words, the amount of, I guess, kind of sexual mojo that you want to project when you are out in public. And apparently it shifts throughout the menstrual cycle. And again and again, with all these studies, their explanation is female to female rivalry. You want to stand out from the crowd. But uh, it's not just physical, you know, making ourselves look good on the outside. We also tend to project a different vocal tone, which is kind of funny because, you know, I've got all these weird voices that I do, Molly. <laughs> and I would I would like a study done on myself of my ovulating voice because I bet it's nuts. Well, you know, it's funny. You know, sometimes you guys will write in, you listeners, and say something like, oh, we really like the way so-and-so sounds. And mm-hmm. I think it'd be a really interesting study. Uh, I don't want to be part of it, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think I know where you're going. I like this, Molly. <laughs> but I bet that there's some researcher out there trying to get money to study uh, different ways podcasters' voices sound based on their menstrual cycle. Do it on NPR, yeah. Because um, there was a study that came out from UCLA about how women who are ovulating say uh, sentences in a more high-pitched way that is deemed more attractive by males because they had these students record uh, just a simple sentence. I think they said, I'm a UCLA student. And the guys were able to pick out which uh, women 
sounded more attractive. And by and large, it was the ovulating ones. And the researchers attribute this to hormone secretions in the larynx. That's just how much these hormones affect us from top to bottom. That even, you know, even when we're in our luteal or our, uh, or in our follicular high fertility phase, these these hormones are somehow not only determining how we dress, but also how we speak. And you know what's interesting with all these studies is usually they have the women who are on hormonal birth control, like the birth control pill, serve as the control group. Mm-hmm. Because those women are not subject to the same uh, rise and fall of hormones that can lead to pregnancy. Because as I said at the beginning, the pill essentially makes your body think that it's always pregnant. And so um, women who are on birth control don't exhibit these same same vocal cues and they right. don't dress differently throughout the month. So it's really a subject for another podcast about whether, you know, the, the pill is totally blocking us off from, you know, potential mate finding expeditions, I right. guess. The, well, you know, starting with this, with a stripper, like we yeah. said, like they're, they're getting the same, they're getting $37 versus $70. Yeah. They're not going out of their way to dress differently. Their voices. Yeah. stay flat across the way. And, in terms of facial attractiveness, again, the women on birth control are the control group because there is this study that came from the University of Newcastle saying that female facial attractiveness increases during your fertile phase. In other words, you get prettier when you ovulate. Yeah. Subliminal sign number three is that your face changes in really small ways. And again, this was another thing where they had the women come into the lab at different parts of their cycle and take pictures and uh, they put a few examples in the in the actual research. And I will say that in one of the sets, I did think that the woman who was ovulating looked a little prettier. I didn't agree with the with one of the examples, though. But apparently to men, these subtle differences are somehow uh, a visible cue that, hey, that lady needs to get pregnant. Let me go get her. <laughs> Let me go get her number. And, and again, like possibly Chris- ask her to dinner. <laughs> like Kristen said, you have to take it with a grain of salt in this day and age because we're not all constantly going around thinking pregnant, pregnant, pregnant. Oh, exactly. And, but- and, and I was saying this to Molly before, before we started recording that the funny thing about reading all of this is while, yes, it's all like, Pregnancy, pregnancy, fertility. I would argue that for, you know, the, the, the demographic, my and Molly's demographic who, you know, maybe we don't really want babies right now. And I would say that maybe, you know, the men we are seeing probably don't want babies right now. You know, we have a little more liberty to, to try to plan things a little bit more. So it's kind of like the opposite. We're sort of working against nature, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, they were saying that these women's, their faces become more symmetrical and symmetry is always prized as this, you know, standard of beauty that attracts the other gender. Mm-hmm. And, uh, your face becomes somehow more symmetrical during ovulation. But not only do women's faces seem to change a slight bit, the way women perceive men also changes, or at least the kind of men that we're attracted to. And this happens whether or not you have a partner. Right. And I think we might have touched on this in our adultery podcast, talking Mm -hmm. about how even if a woman is married or has a boyfriend or girlfriend, they still feel attracted to different people. And you might, if you're in a relationship, start seeing if the times when you feel more attractive to a person can be tracked to your ovulation because science would say that it can. Yeah, because supposedly when you ovulate, you are more social in general. You're, you tend to want to go out more and be around more people. You also get more flirtatious and you also get more flirtatious specifically with 
very masculine looking men. Yes. Masculinity apparently is the key uh, attraction factor. And what was interesting about these sets of studies uh, about mate preference in ovulation that we were looking at is that it's only in the short term. Exactly. Yeah. These are not long-term threats, which is how they're explaining that these women can be married and still attracted to the idea of a fling with this guy who looks really masculine. He's got the square jawline. Because that's yeah. what do we what do we mean when we say masculine? It's like, in the, according to the pictures in the study, it was, you know, a softer jawline versus the more angular, stronger jawline and I think there was a difference with lips. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, and certain behaviors. It was yeah. the way they conducted some of these studies is they would have the men pretend they were competing to win a dinner date. So they would do things like ask the men to, you know, convince the woman that they should take uh, him on the date. And they, it was, you know, they'd, they'd make factors out of whether he trashed the other guy, mm-hmm. whether he was very confident in himself or whether he was more just like self-deprecating. And, you know, they took all these factors and kind of assigned them to variables. And that's sort of how they got this uh, idea of what masculinity was. But, you know, it's sort of confusing. And some of these things we've talked about over the course of the podcast, Kristen, about how women are looking for the, the guy who will actually stay there and raise the children. Mm-hmm. You would think that they would want that sort of long term person, but they were actually more attracted to, to guys who in the short term could give them the genes they needed. Yeah to have the best possible baby, and they were less concerned about who would be there to actually help them raise it. And I guess that's a whole other study entirely. And while all of this is going on, apparently with, you know, with women maybe having a little bit more of a wandering eye in our follicular phase of our menstrual cycle, uh, men ca- react to this subliminally as well by mate guarding more. Mm-hmm. They've noticed that couples will tend to fight a little bit more. Men become a little bit more jealous and, you know, watch. I mean, well, I mean, cause it makes sense, you know, if all of a sudden for a couple of days, like your, your lady friend <laughs> seems to be talking to other dudes. Um, but there does seem to be, you know, the male innate response to this. And again, Molly, I mean, I got to come back to it again and again, like with all of these studies, it makes the assumption that, Women and men are, you know, want to get together as opposed to women and women or men and men. And also, you know, that it's all driven by this need to reproduce. But, you know, you know, we're already up to, I think, sub- subliminal sign number five or six of, of all these things we found of ways that m- women exhibit these things and how men somehow pick up on them. And it, it is really interesting to see that, you know, for people who do fit into that that um male-female chase, right. the ways that we do pick up on each other's bodies. One study that we're not even talking about because there were so many studies about this behavior was how, you know, men could sniff the women yeah. that were ovulating and the women who were ovulating smelled better to them. Yeah, they would just, they had women wear, um, and it was kind of the reverse of another study that we've talked about before, but they actually had women wear undershirts, I guess without like any additional deodorant or perfume, and then had men smell them. And the women who had been ovulating while wearing these shirts smelled better to the guys. So it's on so many, we talked about sight, we talked about sound of voices, scent. It's everything. And um, while women do tend to be more flirtatious, there is also a flip side of this behavior where um, women become a little more self-protective at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is a phenomenon I became uh, familiar with when I was looking at one of our listener sites, Diana Fleischman. She's written in before uh, because she does research on this um, about ways women protect themselves from sexual assault when they are most fertile. Because you know, if you're walking, if you have to, like, for example, take out the trash uh, at night, mm-hmm. you probably don't think, oh, gosh, I'm ovulating. I shouldn't go outside because if I get raped, I'll get pregnant. 
But uh, apparently, subconsciously, we do that. We know, oh, man, this is this is a time I need to guard myself for my beloved, for the best sperm donor I can find. And I don't want to put myself in any danger at this uh, risky time. And so uh, other researchers have done studies that show that women will adapt more so-called non-risky behaviors like staying in and studying or or maybe sticking with groups of people instead of going out alone. Like women tend, even though they are being so flirtatious and sending out all these signals, they don't do things like invite a strange man into their home just for the sake of getting pregnant, that we still have, thank God, some uh, ability to discern (laughs) good versus bad choices. And so they've done a few studies where they show that women... uh, you know, if they're going out to a club, like Kristen said, they'll stay with a group or if they're going to a bar, they'll go with a group and they won't walk at night alone uh, or go jogging in the park at night. So it's it's really interesting how women do protect themselves, despite the fact that studies have found that we're more mobile, that we are out there, you know, mingling and wearing our fanciest clothing and doodads, uh, that we still are protective of ourselves. And but- I think and I and I feel like this this study is a nice balance to all of these you know, other things where it's like, oh, we, you know, our egg is dropped in our fallopian tubes and now we're just going bonkers <laughs> and buying things and wearing frilly dresses all of a sudden. And me now. When did I start wearing lipstick? I don't know. You know, it's it's nice to know that we are like practicing some, you know, some self-protective behaviors as well. And that maybe we do have a little bit of control over this whole um, apparent pregnancy <laughs> drive. And not to, and, and I should also say, we're not, Molly and I are not saying you're trying to disparage the quest for having a child at no. all. It's just this constant theme in all of these, these studies yeah. that the, the, at the end of the day, the only driver is reproducing. Right. Um, and let's talk about how women walk. Yes. Because this is another interesting sort of self-protective thing that mm-hmm. we do. And this was unexpected. You would think with, you know, when we put on our, our fancy duds, our fancy duds and we go out because we want to be social. And for some reason, we just have an itch to talk to some masculine faced men. You think that we might shake it a little bit. You might uh, amp our saunter up. Maybe, yeah. you know, give them Swing something to hips. look at while we walk away. Yowza, Molly. <laughs> Uh, but they actually have done a study, uh, 2008 in the archives of sexual behavior where they, uh, turned the lights out and just did like, uh, light points on the women's bodies mm-hmm. so that the men could just watch how the lights moved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the men found the, uh, least sexy walks, you know, just the straightforward, not, not hippie walks. Mm-hmm. The most attractive. Yeah, and that corresponded to the women who were ovulating. So while we are doing ourselves up, apparently we're just all about business. You know, <laughs> we're not thinking about having some catwalk saunter or whatever through the party or the bar or down the street. We are um we're walking a little bit differently. We're walking I mean we we have done things to garner sexual attraction attention, but we don't want the unwanted sexual attention. Exactly. Again, it's a protective thing where we can modulate who is going to pay attention to us. And finally, while all this is going on, just to throw one more subliminal behavior into the mix. Apparently, we are so busy getting ourselves done up, walking in a very straightforward <laughs> manner that we don't even have time to eat. No. We eat much less when we are ovulating. Yeah. Five to 25% less. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, when, uh, women will talk about gaining a little bit of weight or feeling bloated around their period and it's awful, 
But the good news is, girls, uh, when you ovulate, you're just going to drop that weight right <laughs> off. So don't worry about it. Yeah, and this work comes from uh, Daniel Fessler, who is our old friend from the Foot Size podcast. Oh, Fessler. <laughs> Um, he looked at all these other studies that, you know, the researchers had reported that the women were eating less, but didn't make the connection as to why they might be doing that. And he thinks that uh, if you go back to our hunter gatherer times, which all this does back when <laughs> we were hunting for mates and gathering babies, um, that because food was a scarce commodity back then, if you only had this very small window to get pregnant and continue the species, you would have uh, somehow your body would have adapted so that you had more attention to getting pregnant than more than the attention that would have been necessary to, you know, go hunt or gather berries. It was just a way to keep you mindful that this is a, a pregnancy time, not a sit by sit by the fire and eat. Not a romantic time. dinner time. There's no time for romantic dinners. No time for romantic dinners. And they've done similar studies in female baboons, monkeys, dogs, pigs, goats, sheep, deer. Uh, suffice to say, it happens in animals too. When animals, female animals go into heat, they tend to eat less. And they've done studies trying to figure out kind of the biochemical reason why this is happening. And they found that a certain molecule in our gut that tells our body that it's had enough to eat. Basically, it signals us that, um, you know, we're satisfied and we don't need to eat anymore. When estrogen concentrations go up, the amount of this satisfaction molecule, if you will, drops. And even it, it still does that, even though now we live in a time of plenty where, you know, it's not like you've got to worry about going out yeah. and hunting your own food. Yeah. So he's saying this is a pretty strong instinct that the body has to make you focus on getting pregnant. So... That's a lot of subliminal signs that it's baby making time. Yeah. And we want to know, uh, listeners thoughts on this because like we've said, I mean, it's kind of take it all with a grain of salt, but the m- most amazing thing that you just might not believe is the amount of research that's been done. Cause we're just talking, tossing out different examples, but a lot of these examples ha- co- are comprised of multiple studies from multiple researchers at different institutions. People are very interested in how women act when we ovulate, like really interested. <laughs> so you might as well get in on that, that goodness of abundance of writing yeah, about if, it. If so. you're a researcher and you need a grant, apparently like w- ovulating women is the way to go. <laughs> I already given you that one idea about podcast voices. Yeah. So, but don't, but don't use us. All right. Listen to your mail. I've got one here from Liz. She writes, this is about, uh, the penis size podcast. Okay. She writes, a very controversial podcast. Well, this was one of the funniest emails I think we got. Uh, she writes, I worked in an ice skating rink for the last two years and part of my job was handing out rental skates for the public skate sessions. Every session, the higher size men's skates, size 12 and up, would always run out much sooner than the other sizes, even though I could tell that the renter was only a 9 or a 10. These men who rented two big sizes were always the ones with pretty girls on their arms, and they were obviously trying to impress their dates by ordering large sizes. I have heard the, you know what they say about men with big feet, joke so many times I could scream. But then these men would spend the whole night falling on their butts and looking like idiots. Every session, I would have to wrap at least one ankle just because Mr. Macho Man was ashamed to admit his shoe size in front of a girl. What do you think is a better date? Skating with your man or sitting on a bench and applying Icy Hot to his ankle? So, a question for the ages. A real problem for men who try to exaggerate. Um, Well, I've got one here, sort of along the same lines. This is in response to our condoms podcast. Uh, And... 
This is coming from Tracy, and she says, since I don't tolerate hormonal birth control well, and I'm also allergic to spermicide, condoms are pretty much the only option for my husband and myself. I did notice that while you mentioned sheepskin or animal membrane condoms, you left out a very important piece of information. Animal membrane condoms only protect against pregnancy. They don't protect against most STDs, including HIV. I think it's important for people to be aware of that if they choose animal membrane condoms, and they should do so only if their partner is monogamous and has been recently tested for STDs. So thank you, Tracy, for the little public health announcement. And if you have anything you'd like to share with us, feel free to shoot us an email. It's momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Also, right on our Facebook. That's a great place to not only get our feedback, but also engage other listeners as well. And Molly and I love reading what you guys have to say on our Facebook account. So find us on there, Stuff Mom Never Told You. You can also follow us on Twitter. And alas, we also have a blog that you can read, and it's on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions.